Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? I'm great. I was almost late, though, because I was putting my poinsettias in the closet. Oh, you were putting what in the closet? My poinsettias. You know, the plants with... 
the plants with red leaves that we all like around the holiday time in December? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, poinsettias. And oh, wow. so I got some really nice ones last year, and they're pretty easy to keep alive. They just need light and water, you know, pretty much why didn't they plant lawns? <clears throat> but they turned green. They're not red anymore. Oh. I mean, they're pretty green plants, but what we like about them is that they have red leaves, right? Right. So I, of course, ask Siri, because we okay. live in the age when all requests can be answered. And I said, hey, Siri, how do I make poinsettias red again? And presto bingo, it said they have to have 14 hours of complete dark every night for eight weeks, and then they'll be red. Oh, how interesting. Wow. Plants are so wondrous. That's so fun. Isn't that so totally fun? I I was almost right because I was looking for closets to put them in, right? (laughs) I love it. It has to be absolute and complete and total dark. Even a nightlight or something like that will keep it from being red. And says within four weeks you'll start to see some of the leaves starting to turn red, but it you gotta wait the whole eight weeks and you don't keep them in the dark. You can bring them out during the day and put them in the sun so long as they have fourteen hours of absolute dark. Every single night. So that means I can take them out of the closet and put them in the light at nine thirty tomorrow morning, right? Mm hmm. Wow, what a fun relationship you'll develop over eight weeks with those poinsettias. <laughs> Putting them in and out of the closet. I'm, I'm going to develop quite the relationship with my closets, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's see. I got us both some plants and seeds from Le Jardin de Gourmet, and I planted my plants, and they both seem to have taken did you get any plants? Oh, wow. Um, I didn't get any plants yet. I'm supposed I'm waiting on the gray shallots and um oh, right. there's the Senju shallot and something like that. Well, I got, you know, just plants along with my with my stuff. And I wanted to say their name because I realized we hadn't. And that I had said that for really decades I have directed people to Les Jardins de Gourmet because they have that really great deal on seeds, right? Yes, a packet of sampler seeds was so fun, and I'm still in the process of making my beds for them. They're almost ready, though, so seeds are going out this week. Yeah. Yes. I mean, they themselves have so many different ones, but that they offer tiny little packages of, of how many different herbs was in that set, like 30 or 40 different herbs? Uh, 45, I think, was in there. Or no, yeah, 50. it's a huge number. Yeah. Of, 
you're not going to want to grow all of them, but what an easy way to kind of like sniff and, and feel and sort your way into some that maybe you wouldn't have tried otherwise. Exactly. And I, yes, I have, it's been fun because we have a lot of pasture grass spots. So I have been um, doing the no-till method, but still making space by building up and using our fun compost. So Yay, compost! Yeah, yeah. So I'm excited to see what happens with all of these seeds. I've got some shady spots and some sunny spots and spots. some spots uh-huh. right up the floor. So, yeah, it's going to be so fun. Well, I thought that I had read somewhere that Mercury was going retrograde, but it just seems like it's not retrograde, but it's going, like, full speed ahead. Like, everything just seems to be, like, uh, shaking up in a really good way. Yeah, I feel that. You feel that, too? Like, things that have been, like, kind of like, are suddenly, whoop! Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Definitely feel. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I filed my taxes. I filed an extension for my taxes. So Susan winds up doing her taxes in September. Everybody says, "You're doing your taxes now." I say, "Yeah." This is actually a far better time for an herbalist to do taxes than in like March when there's so much to do. So part of part of, part of the fun for me in doing the taxes is, well, actually, I really do enjoy working with the numbers, and I enjoy seeing, you know, how they like to play together. And um, as a matter of fact, I was told that's one way that they can tell if somebody's cooked the books because the numbers are too random, because ordinarily numbers will come, like you'll get a total of 2202. Mm. And, right? And you would, if you were cooking the books, you don't do that. You make some random numbers. Plus, mm. another I really like is that there's all kinds of bits and pieces of things that kind of sift their way into the receipts, you know, which we're categorizing and sorting and so on. And I apologize if I've already read this letter. It came in in March, so it's possible that I read it back in March, but I don't remember. And if I don't remember, maybe none of you do too. And I thought it was a really worthwhile letter. Thank you, Susan. I chose the right teacher, and I had the experience that I desired. I know that my apprenticeship cost you something, and your generosity is not unaccounted. Thank you for being real. In this experience, I didn't keep it real. I didn't honor myself. And this deselfing and going with what I thought was a flow obscured my true intent. My intention was to spend time close to you and write. You were right. I didn't take my apprenticeship seriously. I wasn't really prepared for it. And I didn't care. Truly. Truly. I didn't care. Thank you for kicking me out. It was the out that I wanted, and I always get what I want. I was excited to get home and explore what parts of your observations were true for me and which parts can be composted. And my comment about that is you you might want to hold off on composting 
any person whose first words to them are, you are the right teacher. That's the first thing she said, right? Right? Mm-hmm. Way up there at the very mm-hmm. beginning of this letter. Because when I have indeed chosen the right teacher, the fact that I don't get what they're saying <laughs> means mm-hmm. I'm, it will come along. I mean, there's some things that my teachers have said to me that it's taken me 25 years to get. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. And if I just said, oh, that fits, that doesn't fit, toss it. Mm-hmm. I never I never would have gotten it. I, I mean, my right teachers are right because they're bigger than me and they see more than me. And especially they're bigger and see more in the places where I'm smaller and see less. Mm-hmm. And that was, that's what makes a right teacher. So she goes on to say, um, and I'm going to paraphrase, that really her problem was she didn't like the model of the apprenticeship. Now, what is the model of the apprenticeship? I find this rather interesting and somewhat amusing because you'll remember that I tell everyone who comes to apprentice that the model of the apprenticeship is the story of stone soup. Mm -hmm. And the story of stone soup, and it's told in many different versions, and I'll tell you a short and very basic version is that they're travelers and they come to town and they say, oh, we are very hungry, and everyone says there's nothing in this town for you to eat. And the travelers say, that's okay, we will make stone soup. And they have a big cauldron, and they have a special stone. And they bring out their cauldron and the stone, and of course this attracts the attention of children. And as the children come around, they say to the children, where shall we go to get water for our stone soup? And the children, of course, show them where it's the best place to go and get water. Where shall we get wood to heat our stone soup? And the children show them where to get the wood. And so they get the water and they get the wood and they get the fire going and stone soup is cooking. And one of the travelers says to the children, you know, stone soup is really especially good if there's an onion in it. And one of the children says, I know where to get an onion. I'll be back with an onion. And one of the travelers said, oh, I like stone soup. that has carrots and beets in it. And one of the children says, I know where to get some carrots. And one of the children says, I know where to get some beets. And so each traveler says, oh, what a wonderful thing it would be to have in the soup. And the children, the children, hear this and want this in the soup and go and get it. So what does that mean? That the model of apprenticeship is stone soup. It means that if you don't like the taste of your soup, you need to check out what you're putting in it. Mm. It's not like I have a model which I engage and put everyone through the model. In fact, that's about as far from the truth of an apprenticeship as one could get. Mm. I am wide open. Who is this person? 
How how is this person whole? Where are they available to expand? So it is absolutely true that there are apprentices who don't like their experience. And they tend to blame me that it was my fault they didn't like their experience. It was my fault that was the the way I do it or the method or the model. And all of those things are responses. I am responsive and responsible to who is here. And I trust what arises. I just couldn't hear what you were saying. So I conjured my ancestors. My grandma in particular reminded me that my friendship with her is unending. She agreed with many of your critiques and communicated them to me in a frame that I could finally hear. Mm-hmm. Your, frame, your frame did change me. I've been a recalibration. I I feel more young, more present, and I want to thank you and Gordon and Mickey for y'all sacred performances and ways of being. I have a ways to go. And for right now, I'm going to follow my way, my magic, my rituals, my rites, the way that my own subconscious is gifting me my isness. I'm not going to follow anybody else or trade it for anything else. Looking forward to continuing. Mm. Wow. Wow. I love that. Yeah. You reached out and, and the relationship continues. It was not the end when she arrived or when she left. And it's beautiful that the communication is still going and so is the journey. I love it. And so is the journey, yeah. An apprentice who graduated over 25 years ago, uh, who actually lives locally, just got in touch with me and said that she had to come and um, work with me because the goddess told her to. Yes. Oh, wow. Right. wow. This is the kind of thing I mean when I say I just, that I keep myself open. And she, you know, told me that she had been doing this work that she really loved, and um, she couldn't do this work anymore because the woman she was working for became lovers with the person that she was very friendly with, and then they broke up, and it was one of those nasty breakups. And so she doesn't want to hire her anymore because she's friends with the person she broke up with. It's one of those, like, wait a second. Right? It's like, wait. Wait. Well, well, no. Oh, my goodness. So she says, you know, that every morning she she meditates with the goddess. And she says, the goddess, what do I do now? And the goddess said, go to Susan Weed. (laughs) 
love that. Oh, I love that. Oh, golly. So, really enjoying the cooler days. Uh, the night's cooling there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this week they're supposed to really dip down, but already they're in the 50s. But this week we're going to the 40s, and we're going to have highs that don't make it out of the 60s, the low 60s. So it's changing. Wow. Well, I, I was mm-hmm. outside and I said, oh, my goodness, look, my body wants to make goosebumps. Because, I mean, really, it's just in the 60s. It's like, oh, come on. <laughs> Not even really yet, but but we're all starting to feel the first of that blessed cool. Blessed, mm-hmm. blessed cool. We had a fascinating guest tonight, but her life was so fascinating that she couldn't come. She had to say, oops, so sorry, at the last minute. And so we had a few people in our pocket that we love and that love us that we can call up and say, hi, last minute person, can you be on tonight? And Susie Mazzoli said yes. Susie Mazzoli is a name that's familiar to you because she's been here on Blog Talk with me before. Also because if you actually read the credits in any of my books, you'll see that she is the person that I ask for homeopathic remedies. And there are quite a lot of homeopathic remedies in the book. All of that is Susie Mazzoli's work. She's not limit to being a homeopath in any means at all. Susie is a person who, through gifts and persistence, through her own desire and work, is wide open. And because of that, she gets a lot of information that people who are just wide open don't get. People might call her a psychic. People might call her an empath. People might say all kinds of things. What I say is that she's available. She's available. And what wants to be present has that opportunity because of that availability. She's amazing sound work. She plays gongs and bowls and just is transporting when she does a sound bath. So amazing. And that I have known for a very long time that I honor and love. And she's going to be talking with us tonight about the root cause of disease. And... I want to say just a little bit more. I know we're going way over. I'm like, blah, 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 blah tonight. But okay, I have a lot to say. I was listening to a Buddhist teacher, and I was really enthralled with the teaching, which in brief, and very brief, and this teaching was far more beautiful, and there were many more words, and it was much, much longer than this. But in brief, the teaching is... Pain, disease, problems, death, this is what you signed up for. This Buddhist monk was diagnosed with a chronic condition that will get worse over the course of my life. 
and like many of us, found thoughts like, I must not be meditating correctly, I must not be eating right. If I was spiritually sound, I would be physically sound. I need to change this with my mind. And there's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. We were told by this person. Because when I really believed it was my fault and when I really blamed and guilt-tripped myself, I made my problem a lot worse. Mm. But if we think that the truth to it is that we can make our problems better by thought, probably not. Because we didn't sign up for it to all be without problem. And so, can we find a way to find serenity and to be nice to ourselves? Can we be kind to ourselves? Can we let ourselves off the hook about what's going on within reason. But we have to ask, what is that reason? Someone I knew was in a really horrible car accident. They were hit head on by a drunk driver who, of course, survived. She survived massive injuries. Her lover was killed. Her dog was killed. And the woman in the back seat had both her legs crushed. Part of her injuries were that her lungs were punctured by her ribs, which were broken and smashed into her lungs. And as soon as they let her out of the hospital, she started smoking cigarettes again. Mm. And I said, ah, don't you think you need to not do that? And she said, no, I think I need to do that. My lover's dead and my dog's dead. Shut up. Mm. Mm. can we let ourselves heal the way we need to heal are we engaging ourselves in trying to be some vision of perfect Mm. Wow, can we let ourselves heal the way we need to heal? I love that. That's, yeah. that's such a perfect question, yeah. So, anything going on with you you want to talk about? Oh, goodness. Uh, we've talked about most of it, um, just really trying to keep up with all that's going on and get <laughs> made and just, you know, really enjoying the season. So, yeah. 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 Uh, all right. Susie Mazzoli at 9 o'clock. Stay with us. 
until then or come on back. And are there any questions? Uh, yeah, we have one, two, three, four hands that have gone up. Um, if you've got a question this evening for Susan, you'll need to press one so that we can see your hand go up in the queue. Our first caller has dialed in from the 732 area code. From the 732, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Can you hear me? Hi. How are you? Enjoying the cool weather. What's up with you tonight? Um, well, I'm getting to talk to you, which is smashing. So I live in Jersey, but I've been visiting... New York, uh, a little bit more north of you, actually, and there's these ferns everywhere. They're fascinating. We don't have them down in Jersey, and I hear up here you don't get peaches and plums as well as we do. This has been a very uh, beautiful trip to see the foliage and all the wildflowers around here. They're much... uh, more difficult to find where I live. It's a more suburban area. I wanted to uh, enjoy the beauty of New York with you for a moment before I ask you a question. It is so Um, beautiful. Peaches do extraordinarily well here in the Catskills. And in in fact, throughout the northeast, Native people grew peaches and plums and cherries and hardly any apples. Right. I knew apples were... Yeah, people, like, really associate, like, this whole area with apples, but wasn't focused on very much. The peaches, you know, the the peaches are really, like, every other year, and they'll crop so heavily in their on year. My peach tree had probably close to 300 pounds of peaches last year. So many peaches that it broke in three pieces, all of which are now sprouting. So now I have this peach bush, which is (laughs) three times as big as the peach tree, and it's already like 10 feet tall, most of the sprouts. So, boy, when those fruit, it's going to be really a lot of fruit. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And how far north did you go, like up to Tannersville? Up to Cat Catskill, Albany, up to the Adirondacks. Uh, we're right by Lake Champlain. It's maybe about very far, very far, the very far north yeah. of New York State. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Up near um, Canada, in fact. It's the most far north that I've been. I'm I'm very excited to to get to go and see everything. It's quite different than Jersey. One of the things that I do very quickly notice from living in Jersey are the pine trees up here. Those, of course, are, we have the pine barrens down there. So, and this is one of the plants I wanted to ask you about. Are there any pines that are not edible? Yes. Um, so the white pine was originally tincture of pine. Pine saps vary in the amount of terpenes that they are carrying. And in general, what you do to 
determine the edibility or usability of the pine is to chew on some of the needles. And if they're too acrid or they have too many terpenes, you'll probably spit them out and you'll say, not that one. (laughs) But this type of taste testing of a pine won't, um, they're not, directly poisonous, like if say I was to eat poison. A taste is not poisonous, no. But if you... Right, right, okay. For instance, as I said, turpentine was originally tincture of pine. Okay. All right, so now it's a petroleum distillate. But originally, it, it was simply very high-proof alcohol poured over pine or even pine tar, you know, the sap from pines. And I found this out because I was reading an old veterinary herbal, and it was talking about dosing animals with turpentine. And I thought, you kill any animal that you give. Any amount of turpentine that you take is lethal. What? You can't do that. And... And I got to thinking about it, and I thought, well, now, obviously, Susan, they're not going to tell you to do something that's going to kill the animal. Come on, you've got to give them, you know, you always have to give your ancestors credit. We tend not to give our ancestors nearly enough credit. I said, so it's got to be something different than what you think of as turpentine. And that's when I was able to go back and find out, oh, what they mean is tincture of pine. And they were using it often as a uh, vermifuge, something to kill parasites. Fascinating. Very fascinating. I generally put it like um, I might not understand what they're saying to me, but I it's my job to try and uh, translate it. Uh, it these uh, historic puzzles can be uh, quite enthralling to find out, like this turpentine. Thank you for sharing this with me. Yeah. So... When I got here, there was a bunch of things that I could identify that I hadn't seen in person. Like I got to see my first mother's wort flower, which was lovely. And I got to sit in a big patch of first-year mullein. But what really caught my eye was the last few um, black-eyed Susans that were starting to die back. Could you tell me some about them? They remind me a bunch of you. Thank you. I do draw a black-eyed Susan as part of my signature. Oh. So I agree. I feel very closely aligned with black-eyed Susans, much more closely aligned than I do with lazy Susans, for instance. Susan, it looks like a daisy, right? Yes. Just different colors. Like the daisy's white and yellow, and the black-eyed Susan is like, oh, yellow and black. Okay. But it also looks like Echinacea, too, doesn't it? Yes, that's what I more associate it with being a... Yeah. Which is cone flower. 
And what we're seeing here is the very interesting uh, characteristics of what used to be called the composite family and is now the Asteraceae, the Aster family, because the, and sometimes called the sunflower family, because these are plants that appear to have, like the sunflower, one big flower, when in fact what it has is hundreds of small flowers. Each flower in the sunflower has one seed. That's how many flowers it has. Mm. So each one of those is a single flower. Now, this whole family, and it's a big family. It includes things like lettuce and echinacea and boneset, artichokes and burdock, chamomile. Big, big family, as well, of course, as asters. And most of the plants in this family are okay to eat. Some of them I wouldn't, like, go out of my way to eat. They can be kind of bitter. Um, it, it, there aren't any that we know that will kill you. I mean, yeah, Abraham Lincoln's mother died from drinking the milk from a cow who ate a plant in this family and ate too much of it, and it was the only milk that she was drinking. So I'm not saying it's totally impossible, but in general we can say, oh, this is a pretty safe family, so it's good to know the characteristics of it. And it does look a bit like Echinacea, and what research has found is that the roots of Rudbecka, the botanical name of black-eyed Susan, do indeed have some similar characteristics to Echinacea roots. So in a pinch, you could use mm, tincture of Rudbecka if you didn't have tincture of Echinacea. And in not such a pinch, you can always put the yellow petals in your salad. The first thing someone asked me was, is it edible? And I go, well, I'm sure if you eat one of them, it might not be a problem. I wasn't certain about eating two of them, though. So, Who said that? Thank you. Hmm? Who said you could eat one but not two? I said I wasn't certain. I was sure you could eat one, but I didn't know if you could eat two, and now I know. Okay. So how did yeah. you know that you could eat one? Um, well, because I had identified it similarly to being a sunflower-type plant, and my brain uh-huh. went, the petals look too delicious not to be able to eat them. It was just a... Logical conclusion, I, I, I feel, I, I, intuition. Um, but I, uh, There's a big difference between conclusion and intuition. I, no, it wasn't intuition. Um, mm. and, nor do mm. I think that it was an adequate conclusion because I do agree that the conclusion that, oh, you know, we eat a lot of plants in this family, all right, um, one or many would probably be fine. So I think I used... Um, so I'm not sure what I, the I not, to, not two is. 
In other words, we don't say that people have only one artichoke leaf. You can't have two. Well, so I was thinking about oh, what are these? Um, uh, they're small pink flower, periwinkle. I uh, I believe I was. I don't think they're periwinkle. Eating, huh? Flowers that you're seeing now? No, 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 no. I periwinkles are cultivated plants. Yes, yes. Uh, I suggest that people don't talk to cultivated plants. Okay. It's kind of like trying Um, to figure out what people are like only by talking to people in prison. Well, no, I understand that. Um, Yeah, so it's just, it's much harder to to hear um, what's going on. In in general, plants are cultivated because they're poisonous, because poisonous plants look strange. And so people like to cultivate strange-looking plants. So that's the other reason. Generally speaking, you'll get good, strong messages and won't get into real difficulties with poisonous plants. There's an exception, and that's water hemlock. Um, But not poison hemlock, which I've actually tasted and have seen other people taste as well. But you don't want to even taste water hemlock. Conium maculatum. Listening to you talk is so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. You are so welcome. Thank you for sharing your adventure in New York. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. I'll call you when I get back to my post plant in Jersey. Bye. Goodie. All right, and there are three hands uh, up in the queue that have pressed one to let us know that they've got a question. Our next caller has dialed in from the 313 area code. From the 313, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. It's Zara. Hey, Zara. How are you? Great. Well, it seems like there's a lot of botany questions tonight because I have another one for you. Okay, good. <laughs> so, um, and it's also in the Asteraceae family. Oh, oh all right. And the Eupatorium genus. Mm. Um, so, I have found a big patch of the Eupatorium serotinum, which is, I, I've, been hard pressed to find very much information about it and so I was calling to see if you had anything to say about it because it's definitely not Eupatorium rigosum and it's definitely not Perfoliatum and it sounds like I'm wondering Sounds like it's not purpurea either. No. Which is Joe Pieweed. It's definitely not that. So I looked it I I did look it up in my uh in my field guide and I identified it as serotinum. And so I'm wondering if it's if it's more on the poisonous side 
or more on the helpful side, or if it would do its own thing? (laughs) I'm sure it would do its own thing, and I actually don't think that there's anything in the Asteraceae family that is in and of itself poisonous. Remember that Abraham Lincoln's mother had to drink the milk from the cow that ate yes. the plant and for years. So the, so the milk would have been concentrating the poisons in the fat. Uh, the cow was getting rid of the alkaloidal poisons in her milk, right? Mm. That's, what we, that's one of the mechanisms for offing um, chemicals, rather, unfortunately, is that they are hormonally related, hormonally attracted. So they wind up in ejaculate, they wind up in eggs, ovulation, they wind up in milk, in our breast milk, um, and in tears. And in tears. So... Sure, there are possibly some alkaloids, somewhat like opium in wild lettuce, uh, but not so reliably that people everywhere say, hey, have you tried this wild lettuce tincture? How many people do you know that have said to you, wow, wild lettuce tincture is really great? Uh, Not very many. Not very many. Okay, all the books books talk about it, but... Out here in the real world, it doesn't do much. Yes. Because, in general, the plants in the Asteraceae family are kind of benign to bitter. Yes. And this plant is is bitter, but I don't think it's as dangerous as, like, the white snake root. Which is not dangerous to you. Which, which isn't dangerous. Not dangerous. The oh. plant itself is not dangerous. There's an alkaloid in it that if you ingest it for years and years and years, can harm you. But didn't harm the cow. Correct. Okay. Right. Didn't harm the cow. So, the cow's the one who ate it. Didn't harm the cow. cow got rid of it. Because my, my feeling was that it, it would have similar actions as to the perfoliatum. That it would act more like boneset. Yeah. Give it a try. Okay. It's, it's difficult to go wrong. Yeah, I know. It well, really is. Like you know, I was going to say, and the more bitter the members of this family are, the more likely they've been used as medicine, right? Yes. And this one is bitter. Right. There's a lot of medicinal plants in this family, burdock. Mm-hmm. Milk thistle. Okay, well I'm I'm gonna make some I'm gonna definitely make some tincture, the flowering tops. It's just make, make a little tincture. What do you got so to lose? It's so beautiful, and it's the butterflies love it because it's late flowering. There's not too many things that are flowering now, except all Asteraceae. 
<laughs> right, there's two supinements of asteraceae. Goldenrod, of course, is an asteraceae. <laughs> yeah. What color, what color are its flowers? It's white. Ooh, the flowers, nice. The flowers look exactly like perfoliatum, but the leaves, the leaves don't. different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's as tall as Benson? Yeah, it's well, it's kind of bending over now because the flower heads are heavy, but it's about Ooh. four feet tall. Yeah, yeah, three to four feet tall. Yeah, beautiful plant. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have one more right. quick question. Okay. Um, Millie Lotus Alba versus Officinalis. Is there is one better than the other? I, I have not I have not found them to be appreciably different. My mm. first introduction to using sweet clover was white sweet clover, Mella Lotus Alba. Yes. The officinalis, however, is far more common. Yes. And it is but in my it in is my officinalis. An officinalis Whatever it means, more means that it was more likely to have been used. Yes. But also maybe because it's more common? And possibly because it's more common. Hmm. So I kind of figured, I'm not sure if it's true or not, but I just figured that preferring the Alba is a little bit of snobbery. <laughs> I could be wrong about that. Okay. But you know you know how people get and how that can transfer out to plants, you know. You see I see it all the time in the in uh when we're looking at herbs in um Chinatown. Yeah. What? For sure. This For sure there's a real price difference much. on, you know, size and prettiness. Yes. And it's pretty human nature to prefer things that are rare. Mm. So, well, the well, the Alba most, is mostly use the, the efficientalis because more it's common easiest. in my area. Yeah. And there's still a bunch of plants that are flowering now because people whack them down. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you heard, but I had a red clover plant that grew in one of my pots here at Pearl's Deck. And I've harvested maybe an ounce of red clover from that one plant. Oh, wow. Because I go out to love all the flowers off every day, right? Yes. And you don't miss them because they're right there when you walk out your door. That's right. So it's just like <laughs> flowering, flowering, flowering. It's like I, I, one of these days I'm going to get a flower past you and you're not going to see it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Susan. Thank you so much for, for talking to me more about genus and species botany fun. All righty. Love you, Zara. Love you, too. To be continued. Bye-bye. Mwah. Mwah.
callers that have pressed one to raise their hand. Next caller is dialed in from the 352 area code. From the 352, you are live with Susan. There we go. Hello, come in. Three five two, come in, come in. They are not here. All right. Let's on off to get a nice of infusion. I know. I do it all the uh, time. I. Uh, we'll go to the nine zero eight. To the nine zero eight. You are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. It's Carol Raftis from New Jersey. Hey, Carol. How are you tonight? I'm wonderful hearing your voice. Yes, All right. I have a new, yeah, new notebook dedicated to you. My Susan Oh, that's so sweet. Yes. Thank you. It's got a green cover. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We like so, the green. Yeah. A couple, couple, uh, uh, a multifold faceted questions. Um, okay. Okay. Hava, can you repeat your brewing method again for that it's uh the kava root? I make I get kava dried root and I weigh out one ounce and put it into a quart jar and then I fill that jar right up to the top of boiling water. And put a lid on it, and usually let it sit overnight. Right. And some people let it continue to let it sit out and let it ferment. Oh, interesting. And it is, the people who do that say that it's more effective when it's fermented. Mm, right. Uh, I have so many jars, I just put it in the refrigerator because I like cold liquids and it works better for me, so I don't ferment it. I just put it in the refrigerator. And I take, consume, drink, enjoy about two ounces each morning. And if I forget, I definitely have more musculoskeletal pain. Wow. So it is certainly helpful for me. I can track how helpful it is. Yes. Yeah, by sometimes forgetting to (laughs) to use it. And um, when I have consumed that a whole quart of cotter root infusion. Um, and I don't, you know, like, make a big deal of the last little bit. Sometimes I'll say I've consumed it when the liquid is below the level of the root and then pouring it out makes pieces of root in my cup, which I don't like. At that point, I boil more water and fill the jar up again. And put a lid on it and let it sit again uh, until it cools, basically. 
just let it sit out at room temperature until it's like room temperature. And then once it's room temperature, I stick it in the refrigerator again. And now, because I've rebrewed it, I drink about um, half a cup at a time. Right. Instead of, instead of a quarter cup. And because it's pretty expensive, I will yeah. do that again. So I actually brew it three times. Hey. But the third time, I'm usually consuming it by the cupful, right? Yes. Yeah. So each time I'm doubling the amount of it that I'm using. Right. In acknowledgement of the fact that I'm, of course, getting less and less and less from the root every time. Yes. And if you just wanted to put an ounce of cover root in a quart jar, fill it to the top of boiling water, and when you're done with that, do another one, go right ahead. It's fine. Okay. And, it, and it's certainly... Stronger on the first brew without a doubt. Oh, yeah. For me, it's something that I'm using now on a daily basis, have been using for a while on a daily basis. And so it works for me to be a little more conservative with how much root I'm using. Uh, Perhaps yeah. if I was using it at a time when I was in more pain or the pain was more acute, no. I would just pst, make fresh brew every day and say, yeah, it's expensive, but you know what? So are pain-killing drugs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I was, talking, I was talking to a student and um, really encouraging her to go to an emergency care facility, not an emergency room. Oh. Right, and she said, well, my insurance won't cover my going to emergency care, but they will cover my going to an emergency room. something. I said, okay. Now you have to decide whether or not you think that insurance should decide on how you take care of your health. What is the difference between going to emergency care and an emergency room? If you go to emergency care, in most instances, you will be seen pretty fast. Right. Rarely will you wait more than an hour. In an emergency room, bring a book. (laughs) Especially if it's not... An emergency. Yeah. With me? Yeah. You have just been shot. You're having a heart attack. You think someone's having a stroke. Go to the emergency room. That's an emergency. That's what emergency rooms are for. This, obviously, this wasn't an emergency if she was talking to me about it. Right? Yes, right. So you go to an emergent care, emergency care, where you don't have to wait, and where they won't take care of you. Okay. Which is what you want, isn't it? Yes. You want to be taken care of. I said to her, okay, what you really have to decide here is this money that's going to cost you 
to go to the emergent care facility instead of an emergency room, that money is buying you autonomy. Mm-hmm. It's buying you a place where you can go and get some diagnosis, which is what you're looking for, um, without exposing yourself to contagious diseases, which wow. no hospitals are full of. Oh, boy. I said, so you have to ask yourself, is your health worth paying to keep you out of a place where you could get a bad infection and where if the diagnosis is the worst possible thing, you will be wheeled into surgery? There's a possibility that she has an ectopic pregnancy. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So, you know, so she goes to the emergency room and they say, yes, it's a, a ectopic pregnancy. She's in the hospital. And I think that legally they can't let her go. No. Whereas she goes to emergent care, she can go. Now, I said, truthfully, you know, she wants to try to take care of this at home. I said, truthfully, I don't think you should take care of it at home. I don't think you can take care of it at home. But, again, that's your call. That's your health. That's your body. That's your call on what you really want to do here. And what I'm saying is that you will have a choice at an emergent care facility, and you will not have a choice at an emergency room. Okay. Mm. Well, thank you. Thank you. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, there's so, some things to put in your book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your green book. <laughs> yeah. And so did you hear the beginning of the show where I put my poinsettias in the closet so they turned red? So you have to be careful not to put your book in the dark or it might turn red. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> but every yeah. night for eight weeks, it's okay if it just goes once. <laughs> Oh, uh, Carol, I love you so much. I'm so glad that you called. Susan, do you use oat straw or milky oats? Oat straw. Okay. Does the oat straw have milky oats ground into it? No. Oh, okay. So we don't need to necessarily spend the money on the milky oats part. No. No. Milky oats is considered a better nervine. It's considered to be stronger in terms of changing how the nervous system is responding to things. And I'm not saying that it does or doesn't, but what I'm saying is that I know from using oat straw for decades oh. and from reading in Ayurveda about oat straw, not milky oats, but oat straw, that oat straw is where the minerals are and is what is considered an herb of longevity. Oh, oh thank you so much. And the right. last thing... In, in the best of all possible worlds, there isn't even any oats at all in your oat straw. That's not to say there won't occasionally be, but okay. it should just oat straw, which literally is the stalk of the grass left after the grain has been removed. I see. Well, that's a great clarification. Thank you. And the mm-hmm. last thing, a shingles, what do you recommend 
on the single shot. On the single shot. Is that what you Shingles. said? Shingles. Shingles. Oh, yeah, oh shingles. shingles vaccination. Shingles vaccination. Yeah, that's a better way to say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's your advice? You know, what you need to do, what each person needs to do, varies so much from person to person. Okay. Certainly, mm-hmm. if you've ever been around, any elder person who is enduring a case of shingles, you would run to get vaccinated. <laughs> because it can truly be horrible. Imagine poison ivy covering one side of your trunk. It burns, it hurts, it can weep, it can be really outrageously bad. If you're very inflamed, if you're in a nursing facility, if you're not getting adequate exercise, if you're not drinking nourishing herbal infusions, if you're not getting a diet of good cooked whole foods, if you don't have a good mindset. So there's a lot of ifs, isn't it? Yes. Am I getting the shingles vaccine? No, I'm not getting the shingles vaccine because I eat a really good diet. Oh, absolutely. I drink nourishing herbal infusion every day. And I, I would too. know if I was starting to get a shingles outbreak. And I would use hypericum oil on the skin mm-hmm. surface and hypericum tincture internally, immediately, and repeatedly. I have seen shingles go away over and over again with the combination of hypericum oil used externally, hypericum tincture used internally. In fact, in my limited experience, every time, whether this has been a case of shingles that a person has been enduring for weeks and has been resistant to the cyclovirus, the cyclovirus, the other cyclovirus, the anti-shingles um, drugs that are given, or whether it's a patch of shingles that is just starting to break out, whether it's mild or whether it's severe, the hypericum vanishes it. If it's more severe, if it's been there longer, it's going to take longer. Okay. For the hypericum to work. But I think you've heard the story of the woman who approached me in Australia and said that she had shingles by her eye and her doctor told her she was going to go blind if she didn't take the antiviral drug. And she did not want to take the antiviral drug because it has some pretty strong side effects. And I said... It's true that you can go blind from having shingles near your eye, and it is a site where it breaks up. I said, but in what percentage of cases? She said, what do you mean in what percentage of cases? I said, it's not 100% of the time. She said, oh, the doctor acted like it was 100% of the time. You're going to go blind. I said, well, obviously it's not 100% of the time. Right? Nothing happens 100% of the time. (laughs) Right? I said, I'm just going to make a wild guess. And I'm going to guess like 4% of the time. She said, what? I said, yeah. I, you know, I said, go look it up. Go find it. And then we talked about hypericum. And um, then I didn't see her again for a week. 
And then she came to where I was. She actually flew to where I was to say, look, look, my shingles is totally gone. I used Hypericum oil on it and Hypericum tincture internally. And within 48 hours, I could tell it was going away. Wow, great. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm so excited about my organization and my notebook. No more fishing around for where I put your notes. (laughs) Good for you. Yay. (laughs) Notebook. All right. I love you so much. Just one of the reasons why we're having a Hypericum conference next May, there's still time to say, you know what, I think I'd like to be a presenter or to make shorts, Hypericum shorts. And, of course, we're going to be open for shorts for months. But if you still got any plant around, now's the time to start mm. hmm, doing it before the winter time. Inside things are good, too. But Hypericum, it's not a plant that's going to be around in the winter. So if you want to do it with her... Now's the time. Love you, Carol. Love you, Susan. The Green best blessings. Good night. Green blessings. Good night. All right. And if you have a question this evening, do remember to press 1 so that we see your hand go up in the queue. And it looks like at this time we have one caller that has pressed 1 dialed in from the 608 area code. From the 608, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. My name is Fern. It's nice to talk to you tonight. Hi, Fern. Hi. So um, three weeks ago, I went into the hospital with some with a pain in my where I had a hernia, uh-huh. and they did a CAT scan, and they found that my um, my intestine had actually erupted, and they immediately took me up to surgery. I had about 18 inches of my intestine removed then, and um, they had taken away my belly button and stitched up. I was in the hospital for about a week. They sent me home. I wasn't feeling comfortable about going home. Within 24 hours, I had some pus and redness and heat on my incision. I was running a fever. They did not take the time to do a CAT scan. They immediately took me back to the emergency room. When they opened me back up, they found tons of infection and um, abscesses growing. They um, took care of all of that, and then they let me out of the emergency room with an open wound vac. Are you familiar with an open wound vac? I am. Okay. So now I'm... Do my best not to prejudice you against it. Yeah. So I'm now, I'm at home. I've been out a week from my last surgery. I'm done with all my antibiotics, um, which, um, you know, at that point, I just kind of um, surrendered to the hands of the doctor. I really didn't know what else I needed to be doing. Echinacea with the antibiotics. Are you taking echinacea now? Well, that's what I was asking about. I'm done with all my antibiotics. I'm on one pill. And that's with the antibiotics. Say that one more time. I'm Take sorry. it now. 
But it would okay. be, have been far better to have taken it with the antibiotics. Okay. Echinacea with the antibiotics. Any time you kick back and say, well, I'm just going to let the doctors do whatever they want to do, you're giving up your health. Yes, and I definitely need time to you do that. that. At the very least, you need to say, I'm going to let the doctors do what they want, and I'm going to find out what they're doing and what I need to do, too. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Think, I'm not saying yeah. that you can't go along with the doctor, but I'm saying if that's all you do, then you're sabotaging your health. And I, and I definitely feel like that is what's happened over the last two weeks. I think yeah. um, the combination yeah. of... Again, it, right, I, when I was in the hospital on IV antibiotics, and I'm taking echinacea, and they sent me home without any antibiotics at all. And I said, really? And I said, and how many people come back here for surgery. They said, oh, half? I said, yeah, you bet. You send them home without anything, and any anti-infective, and half of them come back infected. Gee, golly, golly. So what did I do when I got home? I started taking echinacea, and I took three dropperfuls of echinacea every four hours. Right? I had just been on IV antibiotics. My body okay. was used to getting antibiotics 24 hours a day, wasn't it? Yeah. I'm not going to mess around with a little echinacea here and there. And if I had needed to take further antibiotics, I would have continued to take the echinacea, is what I'm saying. Okay. Right? So the echinacea is there for us. And we allow it to be there for us. And then if we have to add antibiotics, we do. But we don't give up what we're doing because the doctor wants to use antibiotics and doesn't understand how to use herbs with them. Yeah. And that's kind of my... And you don't even have to tell the doctor what you're doing. Yeah. And any doctor who says you can't use herbs while using drugs, <laughs> I look at them and I say, oh, does that mean I shouldn't eat garlic? Parsley? Can I have parsley? <laughs> How about basil pesto? Is that allowed? Because basil, parsley, and garlic are very powerful herbs. Yeah. Parsley can be used to bark. Garlic can burn a hole in your skin. I mean, there's powerful herbs. So where do they get off saying don't use herbs? So they don't know what they're talking about. Do they? No. But you do. Well. You do. You know that it's safe to use herbs with drugs, so long as you're not using herbs that are drugs. Yeah. Well, and that was, I think, my downfall is that I did not know until just the last few days when I started reading about what I can be taking, and I thought, and I found out, my God, I could have been doing this this whole time. And, this whole uh, time. Good for you. Good for you. So do you have echinacea tincture on hand? 
I do. I absolutely do because I usually take it all the time. But like I said, I didn't know what I could take together. And tell me about the edgy tincture that you have. Did you make it? Say that again. Tell me about you made it, and you take it all the time. Do you mean that literally, or you kind of saying that figuratively? When I hear you say (laughs) I take it all the time, I think what you're telling me is that you take echinacea every day. No. Uh, figuratively, I, you know, whenever there's an infection or something is going, you know, I notice the or with myself <laughs> and I catch it from okay. the beginning. So you already use echinacea as an anti-infective, but somehow you didn't connect the dots. I did not. I did not know what was safe with medical medicine and with herbal medicine. You need to copy of Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way. <laughs> I have it, and I'm a little ways through it. Wait a second. There's a whole double spread about herbal antibiotics and, and, and standard antibiotics and how to use them together. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think of that. I didn't think of that book when I was in the hospital. I understand. But it's sitting right now sitting next to me. So. I'm so glad. Because <laughs> I've done my best to really put that information right there at your fingertips. Yeah. For those times when you say, whoa, that doctor wants to use antibiotics, and I want to use echinacea, what should I do? Give them both. It's okay. You don't have to argue. However, let me tell you, that for the past 10 years, every study has found that shorter courses of antibiotics work better. That most of the time antibiotics are prescribed for 10 to 14 days, and 5 to 6 days is going to work far better. In fact, the standard dosing of 10 to 14 days is probably what is driving so much really antibiotic-resistant infection. Hmm. Yeah, I know. No reason I, to use echinacea because then you can use less antibiotics. Yes. Yeah, I um this is the first time in 20 years that I've been on an antibiotic, so I don't I don't um really know much about them because I've not needed to because I haven't needed them. This is the first time in 20 years that you have knowingly taken an antibiotic. Let's be Correct. clear. And Stephen Booner's book, Herbal Antibiotics, is a beautiful primer on this. Antibiotics do not biodegrade. You are taking an antibiotic. You are pissing that antibiotic out. That antibiotic is going into either the groundwater or the wastewater, depending on where you live, and from there will recirculate through your body and all other bodies endlessly. You and I and every other living thing on this planet at this point are constantly ingesting antibiotics. Hmm. Stephen talks about an experiment that was done on a farm in Germany in which they took four cages of chickens. Two of those cages of chickens were put outside and two were put inside. One of the outside cages and one of the inside cages was given feed with antibiotics. The other outside and the other inside cage weren't. Within a week, antibiotic-resistant bacteria were found in the chickens who were being given feed with antibiotics. Within a month, those same antibiotic-resistant bacteria were found in the guts 
of the chickens who weren't getting the antibiotics in their feed. Within two months, those same antibiotic-resistant bacteria were found in the gut of every animal on the farm, and within three months, they were found in the guts of the humans. Wow. Who neither touched nor ate anything having to do with those chickens. Hmm. So I hear you. You haven't knowingly taken antibiotics, but let's face it, we are all taking antibiotics all day, every day. No way around. Um, yes, so knowingly. <laughs> knowing, which is how we know that it's totally safe to take herbs and antibiotics because we do it all the time. Yeah. And you're taking a much stronger dose. Of course, the dose in your water is pretty minute, but, well, gee, gosh, some people actually think a minute dose is strongest. Yeah. Like, like the homeopath I'm going to talk to in a few minutes. It makes yeah, them strong like, by diluting them, right? So I just have one more quick question about um, if the infusions that I'm taking right now would be the best. The only two that I'm I'm starting is um, nettle and comfrey, and I'm just wondering if there would be besides the the oat straw um, anything that you would add to that. I'm just waiting for mine. There to are come five in nourishing there. herbal infusions. Stinging nettle, oat straw, red clover, comfrey, and linden. So I think it's that you don't want to use linden, one of the world's best anti-inflammatories, and powerful antiviral, and a mood sweetener. You got something against this? No. Not for you now. You don't need any of these effects now. And similarly, red clover, which strengthens the immune system, strengthens the nervous system, and helps knit us together when we've been pulled apart, not of any interest to you right now. Okay. There's five nourishing herbal infusions. There's a reason why there's five nourishing herbal infusions, because every single one of them gives you something special. I rotate through five nourishing herbal infusions. I may now and then add... You know, right now, I'm having a couple ounces of kava infusion every day. So that's an added infusion that I'm having. During the summertime, we keep hibiscus infusion around because we're going to be thirstier and we want something tart to drink. Sometimes, especially if there's COVID around, we'll make a melon infusion. But basically, Mm -hmm. drinking is one of those five nourishing herbal infusions day after day. Okay. Today I'm drinking oat straw. Yesterday I drank nettle. The day before that I had red clover. The day before that we had comfrey. The day before that we had linden and so on. All right. Nourishing herbal infusions are of our lifestyle medicine. I think I got this I think I got this right, but I could be exaggerating it. But I think what I read is that vitamin and mineral supplements sold more than 
$5 billion in sales last year. Wow. I haven't taken anything nutritious in pill form in decades. And people who drink nourishing herbal infusions say the same thing. No supplements needed. Anytime any any doctors look at my bones in an x-ray, they are amazed at how solid the bones of this old woman are. <laughs> and all I can say is the nourishing herbal infusions are replete with minerals, and they help us have all the minerals we need. We think of the bones as the great storehouse of minerals, but most of us don't think of the fact that what I call the great braid, which is the nervous system, the immune system, and the hormonal system, are the biggest consumers of minerals. When we are not getting enough minerals, our immune system, our nervous system, and our hormonal system can't work optimally. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time. Thank you and so I much. And I'm hearing the guests. Okay. Have a good night. Bye-bye for now. I do see that is here with us. And um, we have one caller. Let's take that question from that one caller, and then we'll get to Susie. I'll keep my answer short. All right. From the 248, you are live with Susan from 248. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. Um, thank you so much for all that you do. I really appreciate um, all the information you share. Thank you. Um, I have a question about my three. I think she had a little cold and um, is now having hives on and off. Um, And I'm just wondering if you have some herbs or recommendations on best how to support her her body when she's – I'm not sure what to do and how to approach the hives. Hives kind of by definition, are um, don't stick around long. Right. So they're coming and going? They're they're coming and going, and, um, yeah, it's been now, like, four days where it's just kind of coming and going, and she'll itch and scratch while they, like, kind of break out, and then they'll sort of just disappear. And... You know, maybe I should just let it pass and not do anything, but well, I wondered I'm, if there was I, I, something. Trying to trying to get a sense of what's actually going on. It could be kind of hard. Well, three or four days yeah. ago, I felt like something had stung me on the wrist. I mean, just burned and itched and burned and itched. It actually kept me up, like, most of the night burning and itching. And there wasn't, like, any mark where I'd been stung. It was, there was, like, a generalized redness. But I'm thinking, yeah, well, you've been, like, itching it like crazy girl. Yeah. And it's only because I was itching with my own wrist that I wasn't breaking the skin, right? Yeah. And uh, then the next day it kind of calmed down, and then it got a little worse again. And then, then finally I could see that it was poison ivy. Mm. But it took a while for the actual poison ivy rash to appear. 
I'm not saying that what she has is poison ivy. I'm simply saying that figuring out what's actually going on with the skin is very difficult, and people get paid big money for for telling you that they don't know. Basically, it's that hard. So what do you think the hives have to do with? You said something about a cold. Was she treated for the cold? No, she had just a runny nose one day and then a little stuffiness. Like at night she was breathing kind of heavy and you could tell she had some phlegm. And that was a minor thing. I thought, oh, she's getting sick. And then the hives came on. And, you know, I I feel like maybe it's just a nervous system thing, you know, like that I should be kind of, you know, supporting her nervous system. Um. She is, she just did start a daycare, so she, I know she has some stress. This is the first time she's ever had hives or any skin this thing. Is much so that's why more I'm likely to be connected to the hives than her sniffling nose. Yeah. And her sniffling nose is from the daycare, too. Well, yeah, likely. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, okay. So, um, you think that she is feeling stressed that she's in daycare. That seems very reasonable to me. And so you're going to do something to her nervous system? Well, I was just, you know, she really does like all the, you know, uh, you're stressed and you are being taken away from everything you'd ever known. And you weren't real happy about it, but it was also kind of interesting at the same time. Mm-hmm. Would you like to be told that your nervous system needed to be built up? Um, what I guess, you, like you know, I... Str- what would you like in that situation? I mean, Hypericum, St. How about extra care? Well, yes, and of course extra care, yes. I'm that? definitely giving her extra that. <laughs> How about extra hugs? How about yeah. not treating her like she's sick? She's not sick. Yeah. She's stressed. Okay. She's upset. Yeah. She doesn't need any remedies. She needs her mom. Yeah. And she needs to know she doesn't have to go to daycare if she doesn't want to. <laughs> yeah. Because okay. she is having fun there. Yes, she does enjoy it. I, you know, she, she does, does seem like enjoy she it. But yes. she also doesn't want to be there. Yeah, it's stressful. It's a new thing. Totally stressful. Stressful. And it's okay. It's okay. And she doesn't have to be made well. She's not sick. Yeah, I think I was just looking to support, you know, the itching and the, you know, I can tell she's a little uncomfortable. Get rid of the itching. Hello? What was that? Treat it topically. Put some plantain oil on it. Plantain oil. Okay. Yeah, I think because it's just so it pops up, it'll be on her face, and then it's on her back, and then it's on her stomach, and then it's on her arms. In oil on it, wherever it is. Yeah, okay. Okay, because it pops up. The root cause Mm -hmm. is she's stressed and she needs more mom. Yeah, I would agree with that. The root cause is not her nervous system. Her nervous Mm -hmm. system is fine. There's nothing wrong with her at all. Yeah, I really wasn't thinking of it that way. It was more of supporting her as she, you know, I think, no, I think this is more about no, supporting her. No, yeah. buy that as support. No one is going to buy that as support. That is fixing. Mm. 
That's fixing. Mm. I'm going to give you a remedy and make you get through this. No. No, she's okay. It's okay to be stressed. It's okay to have highs. Wow, look at this. Look at how you re- are reacting to stress. You have highs. Let's yeah. find out together what makes you feel better when you're stressed. Would you mm. like to learn to meditate with me? Would you like to take a walk with me? Would you like to do some yoga? Would you like to sit in my lap like a cat and purr? Would you like to make a pot holder with me? I don't know. There's lots of ways yeah. to go there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah. She's not wrong. She's not sick. I hear that the hives are problematic. And yeah, and I think I wasn't sure if it's it not is, you like know, something. It's not yeah. condition, and it's not lethal. Yeah. No, I think I just needed to hear that. I, sometimes I, I wonder I if there's something I mean, that she's needing more support in physically. There's mistletoe therapy, and my, I don't know, my, like, 18th treatment, I broke out in hives. And I said to Dr. Lopes, I said, check it out. My body's saying no, this is the end. Mm. I didn't make my body wrong. I didn't say, what's wrong with me? I'm bringing out my eyes. I said, look what's happening. My body's saying, stop this now. And that's what we're going to mm-hmm. do. Because you set a child up for a lifetime of thinking she's wrong whenever she gets sick or has a problem when you do that. That's what we started out mm-hmm. this evening with, talking about this talk by this Buddhist monk to learn how to treat himself kindly. No blame, no shame. And it can be very subtle. That blame and that shame. All right, let's hear what Susie has to say. Thanks for your call. Green blessings. Thank you so much, Susan. Green blessings. Hey, Sarah Ellen. Yeah. Sarah, do you have a written intro? Um, I have an intro of what Susie is going to speak about tonight, um, and I do have a little bit of bio. A little bit of bio. Alrighty. Because I did a great bio at the beginning of the show and said that Susie is a dear friend, a long-time helper, a my homeopathic consultant for all of my work, uh, tremendously available, spiritually open, fun person who does great sound work, and that's only the beginning of it. And what do you have to add to that bio? Ah, let's see. Reverend Susie Mazzoli is a spiritual teacher, an energetic healer, an intuitive counselor, professional homeopath, and certified holistic health counselor. She completed rigorous traditional seven-year training in Europe with the great Hungarian healer Karoli Fodor as a Reiki master in the Yusui Tibetan method. Uh, She's originally from Australia. She's lived in Europe for many years where she was also trained as a counselor in Carl Rogers' client-centered therapy. Uh, She has a degree in education, fine arts from Melbourne University, a diploma in classical homeopathy from New York School of Homeopathy, and certificates in herbal medicine, holistic nutrition, polarity therapy, and an ordained minister in the Order of Melchizedek World Light Fellowship. Um, Over the years, Susie has enriched her healing practices through extensive studies with 
Tibetan Buddhist masters, herbalists, healers, indigenous shamans, and metaphysics teachers in the United States, Australia, Peru, Bolivia, Costa Rica, Hungary, Nepal, and India. A documentary is currently being made about her work in the art world, her work as a healer, and now with her work at the Temple of Understanding by Los Angeles filmmaker Erin Moulton. Um, I could go on. She's got a lot going on. <laughs> as I said, a multifaceted, amazing individual I'm thrilled to have in my life. And even more thrilled that we get to hear from her tonight. Welcome, Susie. Hi. Well, thank you so much for the introduction. And I'm so happy to hear. I'm sorry I missed the beginning of the show because I actually was with one of my Tibetan teachers. But I just heard you say, no blame and no shame. And I am so happy to hear that. So important that we treat ourselves kindly. Absolutely. And I find in my healing work that it is so important for people not to see this in their lives, like this whole worldview of like, I'm a victim or this is an accident or I'm blaming that person. Like this is what we have to really understand, become mindful, really, really mindful because I see so much physical disease coming from these mental states and the shame, the guilt and the blame are some of the deepest ones that cause the deepest kind of like serious fatal illness as well. So yeah, mindfulness, huge. I was, I was talking about a teaching that I heard from a, a Buddhist monk who talked about the thoughts that came up upon being diagnosed with a chronic illness which would only get worse and that the immediate thought was I must not be spiritual enough because if I was spiritually well I would be physically well and Mm -hmm. the teacher went on to say I'm not saying that what you think and feel about what's going on doesn't have an effect because by blaming and shaming myself I actually made my condition a lot worse Mm-hmm. When I finally let up on myself and realized that I wasn't here to force my body to behave as I wanted it to. Right. Mm-hmm. And, Although, to, and to me, yeah. that is one of your major teach, teachings, too, is I remember when we talked and I said, well, when you're doing an energy healing, what are you doing? And you said, oh, I'm not really doing anything. I'm being with the healthiest manifestation possible of the person I'm working with yes yes so I am visualizing energizing imagining the the channel where you are in your healthiest state mentally physically emotionally spiritually all states yes so I'm never this is when I'm doing energy work I'm never thinking, oh, we have to get rid of this or we have to get rid of that or we have to dissolve Or even that we have to support this or or change that. Yeah. 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 And then there's there's the other side of it too, which for me um, is very important in in all aspects of my work, which, which is also informed by my Tibetan Buddhist teachings, which is acceptance too, acceptance of the suffering 
because most of the time we're fighting the cancer, we're battling the disease, we're, we're, we're attacking the virus or whatever. And much of the work too is acceptance of the suffering state, which is like a, a non-resistance, acceptance, and dealing with it from that acceptance level, which is a very different state to be in rather than trying to push it away or trying to get rid of it. And um, in the Tibetan Buddhist teachings, we, we understand too that when we are in acceptance, so it's a, it's, I hesitate to use any other word, so let's just use acceptance. Um, then we're also not exaggerating or emphasizing or amplifying the suffering. And that's very, very important for the, the present state that someone's in and also in what they're creating in their future as well. So it's a little bit of a two-sided thing. Acceptance on the one side and then what we just talked about as well. So it's 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 subtle but very strong and very profound. Mm. Yes. Wow. And and shall I shall I just keep going? Please <laughs> so, just keep going. Okay. So um, the when I'm working with people, it's it's very much about trying to help the person recognize the actual pattern of what's going on so like when you speak about someone who's blaming something from the outside or blaming my childhood or blaming this or blaming that um, there's there's this understanding that it's coming from the outside and when I'm working with people I'm really trying to help them understand like what is it that's that's really happening and to see that it's this one and only source where everything comes from, from for us, is from the inside, from our own internal state. Whether that's, a, I would like to think of it as being a continuous state, because in in my understanding of of energy, we are beginningless and endless. So, going back to your um, story about the monk. Um, the monk, if he's a Buddhist monk, would definitely believe in, in rebirth and the continuum of, of existence. So he would understand that his life is this life and probably millions of lives before it. And it's also understood that we create karma. So we have this cause and effect relationship within this continuum. And we might be born into this life and have a very serious chronic disease or, or a fatal disease or just a, you know, a disease that we don't like to have all the time. And it might not be coming just from this life. It could be coming from the many, many, many lifetimes that we've had before. So there's also the understanding that everything in our state today is from this lifetime but also things that we cannot understand. And we, even, even the highest spiritual teachers can't really understand it, what karma is being um, bought, what they say blossoming or ripening in this life. So we can look at a lot of things in the individual state. We can look at their history and their personality and what sort of relationships they're in and what sort of things they do and how their mind works. And, and we can get some picture, 
but we might not get a full picture. So that's why this acceptance part of illness, of suffering, is very important. I'll take a break. Yes, this, this, is, this is what the monk wound up was saying that he then realized that, oh, pain, disease, death, that's what we signed up for. It's not a failure. Right? Our, our, we have this Western belief that being sick, having a disease, and even dying are somehow evidences of having failed. Very much so. Especially the dying part. We are so far away from being comfortable with dying, being comfortable with others dying around us. Yes, it's, it's a very, very big missing piece for us in Western society. Huge. Acceptance. Acceptance, yeah, and and of course with that acceptance, there is the very very deep understanding that that we are making our world in every moment. We are creating the world. We are creating everything from this mind, this 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 being that we are, and as we're creating, we're creating our future. So there is the possibility to create less suffering in our future by the way that we behave now. So thoughts, words, actions, them be virtuous, let them be generous and kind and loving so that we bring that future for ourselves, a future with less suffering, a future with less mental, physical suffering. Because the pain and the disease and the death are part of it, but the suffering is a choice. And this can um, be hard. This can be hard yeah. sometimes for people to hear. That we're not yes. talking. We're not saying that changing your mind will end your problem. We're saying it will change your suffering. Yes, and and because we have this understanding of ripening karma. You could be a wonderful, fantastic uh, monk on the planet today or nun or bodhisattva or whatever, a wonderful, beautiful person, and you could still be suffering because you're still having the ripening of all of these past lives coming up. So we just have to keep being fabulous, virtuous people to end the suffering and of course, you know, many Buddhists take the vow, the Bodhisattva vow, which means I will continue to be reborn until all the suffering has finished and every last sentient being has finally been enlightened. So there's this very powerful vow that keeps people coming back to help others because this realm here is considered a realm of suffering. Right. Pain, disease, death. That's what we signed up for it's not a mistake it's not a failure you you didn't do it wrong that's that's the prize that's what you're supposed to be getting and then of course then the question becomes how do I not suffer how do I find serenity how do I not only find a way to get myself through this but to actually be a benefit to others in it. Because isn't that what this monk is doing? Rather than sitting around and blaming and shaming, this monk is now teaching a course on what the teaching 
has been brought forth here of accepting. Right? I, I didn't hear what the chronic problem was. I don't know if that's ever shared, and that's okay. I guess multiple sclerosis, because it's the kind of thing that allows you, we don't see the lower part of this person's body. It's quite possible this person's in a wheelchair. We don't know. He kind of looks like a quarterback, you know, kind of a good-looking but bald person. <laughs> Show Ted, right? Not really bald, right? <laughs> Um, so I thought, you know, multiple sclerosis would be exactly that kind of diagnosis that you get, where it's like at first it's not really too much, and you kind of like can pass as being totally okay, and then um, it just gets more and more difficult, basically, no matter what you do. Mhm. I'll have to find out who this monkey is from you. I'll, I'll See if I can find yeah. it. I, I pay no attention to the names, you know. I'm just like yeah. looking through the email, and I'm on all the mailing lists, and they say, would you like a 10-minute teaching? I go, yes, and listen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you know, I lead a charmed life, so you have to, like, you know, sign up for the charms. 10-minute talk, a, a Dharma talk? Yes, I hear you. <laughs> Time to hear. I'm listening. <laughs> oh. So every single action, every single word, every single thought is creating our future. And that's what we're looking at when we're looking at sickness, when we're looking at suffering. It's, it's what have we done before this moment, what's coming to us now. And then when we have it, when we're in it, then as you're saying, absolute loving kindness, absolute compassion towards yourself. No blame, no shame. And and really, for me, like the key thing that I'm doing when I'm working with, with clients is helping them understand, like, so what do I learn from this? What do I learn from this physical condition? What do I learn from this mental condition? What do I learn from this suffering? Um, and uh, depending also on, and as you know, Susan, as you know from my, my work, I really try to dissect the illness itself. So, like, what is the disease process? Is it the stuck? Is it is it something that's growing out of control? Is it the diminishing of something? Um, uh, what sort of pain does it create? Um, is it like a bursting pain or a shrinking pain? These things are all very very important in homeopathy, but also in energy work and and in um, uh, therapy work. And then looking at the body, what parts of the body are affected. And I see so much uh, emotion and trauma trapped in physical body parts as well. So working with that. So really understanding the disease on many, many different levels and then understanding what is the teaching that I get from this. Like what do I really understand from this? And as we understand it, then we become more compassionate towards ourselves, more understanding of ourselves. And generally, people that go through a lot of pain and a lot of suffering, once they understand it and they they get the lesson, so to speak, there's usually a very, very deep spiritual deepening. And also, they become more compassionate towards other beings as well. So sometimes it's it's seen as a purification, but it's usually seen as the deepening of compassion in, in most cases, I would say, um, which is a very, very different view of, of illness and suffering to 
what would be a traditional medical method or something like that. So it's it's um, hopefully something that we have learned from our great-grandmothers and our grandmothers as well. It's been passed down to us through through the Indigenous ways and, and through the natural ways, but not so much in the new ways, which is why we're so divorced and separated, like you said, from, from sickness and, and so completely alienated from, from the death process. It was so much of the charm of my life that brought me to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross so early on, all the way back in the late 70s to be there with the woman who was putting death back on the map. And, uh, you know, she said that that people didn't die in hospitals. They just kind of disappeared. And I know when my mother was dying, she was in a, a, actually a rehabilitation facility, but each person in that rehabilitation facility had an angel. And there was a card over the patient's bed that said, this person's angel is so-and-so, and this angel is available at any time. So there was not the, con- the, there was, of course, always constantly changing people, caring for them, but there was also this one person who came every day. And, you know, that's a special kind of compassion that a facility has that says that it's not just the remedies and the taking care, but that when we're in a strange place, we need an anchor. So you, you, you're talking about someone who's caring for the dying, like a death doula? It was actually a rehabilitation a... facility. No, they weren't specifically mm-hmm. caring for dying people. My mom did die. Mm-hmm. She was asked mm-hmm. if she wanted to go to hospice or rehabilitation, and she, of course, said rehabilitation. <laughs> yes, yes, I believe your mother would say that. <laughs> she was she was a bright force, that lady. Whew. She was. She was like, hospice? Not for me. We're going to read <laughs> Of course, she did die there. Yeah. But it was beautiful to see that, that no matter what, you know, anybody who was in that facility was a person out of their element. Somebody who mm-hmm. wasn't at home, somebody who wasn't, you know, having things the way they were used to having things. And uh, and I know for me, it was one of the difficult things about being in the hospital was the lack of continuity. I mean, sure, I got to see the same doctor every morning for five seconds, literally, and I'm not exaggerating. And I had five surgical teams. They would troop in one after the other. Look at this side, look at that side, and be gone, literally within five seconds. Yeah. And I guess they didn't want, you know, certain things to happen, so they kept rotating the staff. And I hear that's pretty normal, but it's really hard on the patient because you feel really, you know, just tossed about that you don't have some anchoring thing. And so that's why I was so appreciative of that in the facility my mom was in. Yes. The, the, and did you also find, too, like I find, too, in my work that um, – you know, especially in my homeopathic work, that people show up after they've done everything else. You know, it's kind of like, oh, no, maybe I'll just try this last thing. You know, they've done the 
the traditional medical route, they've done the drugs, they've done the surgeries, they've done the this, they've done the that, they've done the therapy and they still keep having the same problem or it keeps coming back. And then, I don't know, maybe a little bird, you know, yeah. it works inside Try out. this, try this, what, look, <laughs> me, me. <laughs> so then they show up and, or, you know, referral usually, they show up and I often find that I am the one and only person around them in their life that believes that there is hope or recovery and that there is a possibility or the potential of of healing the trauma or healing the the chronic illness or whatever. It's like... So just kind of relating to what you're saying, it, I find it's very important to be an anchor for people in my practice. Yeah. 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 And to let them know that there, that no matter what happens, that, that we will keep working together until we have found a place of peace and a place that is less suffering. And it might also be through homeopathy, through holistic therapy, you know, I might be sharing some meditation practices with them, just to spiritually understanding too where they're at and why they're there. And and it's true, I've also helped, you know, clients working um with death and helping people die so that their death is also peaceful and done with understanding and done with dignity. But I agree. I think if there are people listening that are um healers, health workers out there be an anchor, just like Susan says, be an anchor and and have have that that absolute loving kindness in your heart, no matter what, no matter how painful it is, no matter how difficult the people might be in their illness, which is you know it comes up a lot it's very hard to 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 be there as a compassionate, loving care nurturing health worker when someone's being you know irritable and nasty to you but we that's I think one of the biggest things that I teach in my classes is how to have a hope a really really open heart even when you don't want to just keep opening the <laughs> especially heart especially when you don't want to hey anybody can do it when you want to <laughs> keep holding it open keep holding it open you're going to get brownie points just keep holding it really wide big and open because um yeah it's 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 a hard world and we're getting into more and more difficult places now in our world. And um, which, Susan, may I please do a very quick little plug for my program? Please um, do. Yes. So, so I work privately with clients, and, but I also really want to work and have worked in the past on big, big global projects. Um, and uh, for the last uh, three, four years now, I've been working with an NGO um, with, with, um, that is an NGO that is to do with the United Nations, and it is an interfaith NGO that works on the climate, and, and we have a huge conference coming up on October the 20th with wonderful speakers from around the world, and I would invite you to join us it's called Forum 2022, and you can register at the templeofunderstanding.org. That's my little plug. And otherwise, um, I think wow. that... Wow, templeofunderstanding.org. How much does it cost? It's free. It's free? It's 
friend. Oh, how beautiful. And I have um, Dr. Vandana Shiva and Bill McKibben speaking about um, the state of our planet and what's happening. And we have two uh, panels on forests and, and healthy soil and on the oceans and our uh, problems. I heard you also refer to antibiotics in the water, um, problems with our waterways and how we can look after Mother Earth, look after this incredible Gaia that we have as our beautiful home and how we can look after ourselves as individuals and look after our communities. So it's a, it's a short two-hour conference with wonderful people from all around the world and um, prayers being offered by um, indigenous leaders and different world religious leaders. So that's so the conference hour. is just two hours, and it's, it's free. It's and free, and it's online. It's, it's online. That was that was the last question, and it's going to be recorded? It will be recorded, and it will also be available on our website, templeofunderstanding.org, after the event. Fantastic. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for letting me plug that. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to say? You know um, we can blog talk shows so they can cut us off at any second, but we can just go ahead. You know I love you. You know I, I value you. you. That's it. And all I have to say is I love you, and um, I hope that we can all just keep creating more and more loving kindness in the world because um, that's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to do. We are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And your threads make this cloak so strong, Susie Mazzoli. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah Ellen, and thank you, Justine, and all of the helpers at the Wise Woman Spiral for helping me to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Green blessings right outside your door. Good night, everybody. <laughs>